amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. We give God praise tonight. Thankful for all that are here this evening. God bless you. Uh, we thank the Lord for you. We are going to be looking forward to a good time in the Holy Ghost this weekend. Uh, we're going to have a great time on Sunday morning. Uh, due to the uh, holiday, uh, there will be no evening service on Sunday night. And a week from tonight, uh, there will be no midweek service due to family camp uh, that is taking place. And we would certainly encourage you to go there and enjoy that. It's a shortened a family camp Wednesday through Friday due to the um, 4th of July holiday. And so uh, we won't be having service here, but we'll be having, there'll be a great service at Buckeye Lake in Millersport a week from tonight. But we're going to have a great time in the Lord this Sunday morning. Invite people to the house of God because who knows what can happen in just one moment in the presence of the Lord. In just one moment in the presence of the Lord. So tonight we're going to continue our summertime series called Sound Doctrine, Sound Doctrine. We began talking about the oneness of God. We talked about the new birth. We talked about uh, last week the beginning stages of uh, the new birth, which is repentance, uh, the very important subject of repentance. And now we're going to continue on with M Peter's message on Pentecost, uh, his response to the question in Acts 2.37 the question was, men and brethren, what shall we do? There are things, there is something, I should say, that you can do uh, in order to respond to the great gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing Peter said unto them was repent. That's one thing you, you can do. How many knows that if it weren't for the blood of Jesus, none of us could be saved? It is the efficacy of his blood. It is the power of his spirit. It is the glory of his grace that saves us. Uh, but there has to be an acceptance on our part. There has to be a, an obedience on our part. And so when we repent from our sins, we turn away from that thing that binds us, that holds us in bondage, and to complete the repentance process... We must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So we're speaking tonight on baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. In order to complete the process of repentance, there must be a burial. Remember, repentance is when we die to our flesh. Repentance is when we, we lay down our our uh, lusts, the affections of our flesh, our carnal mind, we lay it down and we allow those things to be crucified just as Jesus was crucified. We allow that old nature to be crucified just as Jesus was crucified. And Jesus being crucified was not the end of the story. He then was buried. We too must be buried with him by baptism into his death. And then we, of course, can rise to walk in the newness of life. And so we're going to talk about several aspects of this. We won't take too long this evening to do so. But we want to give a thorough understanding of what the Bible says about baptism, 
We want to give a thorough understanding of why the Bible says what it says about baptism. This is not some trivial thing. Uh, this isn't just something that we uh, hang our hat on and become indignant about and say, my way or the highway. Sometimes, as apostolic Pentecostals, we've been accused of being, uh, you know, inflexible in certain things. And I have to say, where the Bible is inflexible, we have to be inflexible. And so the Bible is emphatically inflexible when it comes to the matter of baptism. And there is, there, there is plenty of Bible for it, and there are plenty of good reasons for it. And we want to get into those tonight. Uh, first of all, uh, again, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this... This being the message of Jesus Christ, the fact that their hands dripped with the blood of Jesus. They were guilty of his murder. He, of course, being the Messiah, the chosen, the anointed one, the long-awaited Christ. And they came to a realization through Peter's powerful preaching that they were guilty of sin. And when they heard this... They were pricked in their heart. How many know that's what powerful preaching will do? It will prick people's hearts. That's what it's designed to do. And so we don't water it down. Neither are we mean with it. But we just preach the word of the Lord. True, lovingly, but with accuracy and with uh, fervor and boldness. And the word does the work. It pricks the heart of the hearer. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter... And to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, turn away, walk away from your sins. Walk away from those things that are transgressions of the law of God that are sure to be damnable to your soul. Walk away from those things and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to uh, pause for just a moment and say it's important to understand what was happening in this Pentecost message. This Pentecost message was the first time that the plan, as we would call it, of salvation was being delivered to anybody this was the first time anybody was going to hear how a human soul should respond to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Jesus had lived a perfect life. Jesus had died the sinner's death. Jesus had been buried in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus had rose from the dead. Hallelujah triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. But this is the first time anybody's going to find out what they can do about what Jesus had done. So a precedent is being set by the words that Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost. But Peter was not there to just randomly share his thoughts, arbitrarily reach up into the sky and pick out what he thinks people should do. Peter had been commissioned. Everybody say commissioned. Commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
what he should preach when the time comes. He should declare it without fear, without favor. And so we're going to look at the great commission as it has come to be known. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to begin reading in the 18th verse of Matthew 28. This is a message of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into the heavens. He's giving them understanding as to what they are to do and how they are to live their life how they are to serve him. He's telling them that they have to go into all the world, that they have to preach the gospel to every creature. They can't hide this thing in a corner. And how many know that commission wasn't just for 12 guys watching him ascend on high, but it's to every born-again believer. Hallelujah. Every one of us have a commission from the Lord upon our life. And it's good for us to stop every now and then And think, am I fulfilling the great commission of God? Am I doing my part to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ? Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Everybody say, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. That is the Great Commission. You find variations of it at the end of the book of Mark, the end of the book of Luke. And and, and, and so Jesus is commissioning them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, it's important that we recognize the language of Matthew 28, 19. Baptizing them in the name. When they go to the upper room... Two things I want to point out. One, in the name. Two, he said to go therefore and teach all nations. Acts chapter 2 opens up with the day of Pentecost being fully come. It opens up with there coming a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filling the place where they were with one accord in one place. Cloven tongues, diverse tongues like as of fire were sitting upon their heads. And all of them, every person in that upper room were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and we'll go ahead and turn there so everybody knows I'm not just making this stuff up. Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to talk a little bit about this. Verse number 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse number 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. And notice this term. Notice these words. Out of every nation under heaven. How many nations did Jesus tell the disciples to go into and teach? All nations. How many nations are represented in the upper room? Every nation. This is an immediate fulfillment in a microcosm, albeit, but a a microcosmic fulfillment of the Great Commission. Peter was told, the disciples were told to teach all the nations. And here they are, all the nations, in the upper room, listening intently to what Peter is about to tell them. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together together. 
They were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. All the then known nations of the world come scurrying to the upper room. And when they walk in, they're, they're absolutely blown away. Because these 120 are speaking the languages wherein these people from every nation under heaven... They speak these native tongues, and when they walk in, these Galileans are speaking their native tongues. The most obscure of languages were being spoken. Notice the different languages. Verse 8. Verse, well, let's go. Let's just, let's just talk about, let's just start at verse 7. They were all amazed. They were all marveling. They're saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Now, these are the languages being spoken. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, see, that happened, and I'm next, we're next uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the Holy Ghost, so I don't want to get too far into this. I'll probably repeat some of what I'm about to say then. But, but when my great-grandfather uh, first received the Holy Ghost, it happened in the early part of the 20th century, 1909-ish, <laughs> 1909-ish, 1910-ish, and he, he had repented of his sins, he had founded a Persian mission in Chicago for young Persian immigrants who had come from Persia and were coming to America. He was in Chicago being a young Assyrian Persian man. He knew the challenges that they would face. He started a church, a mission for them, an actual mission. And so he had about a, a little over 100 uh, there. And, and they only understood repentance. And he had had such a profound repentance experience, he couldn't stop telling everybody about repentance. What the Lord had done for him through the process of repenting. And so he went to visit his friend to tell his friend about this great experience that he'd had with the Lord concerning his repentance. The friend was not home. The landlady was there. And the landlady let him into the foyer and allowed him to sit down. And uh, he sat down in the foyer... And as he sat there, uh, she entertained him for a moment. And he said, well, while, while we're talking, let me tell you what the Lord has done in my life. He said, I repented of my sins and God has dramatically changed my life. And she rejoiced with him. And she said, but young man, I'm glad you repented, but have you received the Holy Ghost? He said, I have not so much as heard there be any Holy Ghost. She said, oh, God's filling people with the Holy Ghost. And she said, you should go down to the Pentecostal Holiness Church. And she gave him directions to the Pentecostal Holiness Church. She said, they're getting the Holy Ghost left and right down there. And so he went down. Azusa Street had just taken place about three years earlier. He went down to the Pentecostal Mission in Chicago. And when he walked in, nothing could have prepared him for this. Folks, it was wild. It was crazy. Folks were, folks were speaking in tongues all over the place. you got to understand, all of these folks were brand new babies in the Lord. And I don't know the way he described it. I don't know how much order there was. They were just getting the Holy Ghost. And when he walked in, it kind of 
threw him for a loop. He was like these folks that walked in that said, these men are full of new wine. He walked in saying, I got to get out of this place. This is crazy. These folks are crazy. Now, he spoke broken English, very broken English. He had just been in America for a little bit, a little while, and was, was kind of barely getting along, learning how to, to navigate through conversations here and there. And so he, he, he was more comfortable speaking his native language. And, and there, while he was in the service, a man from Chicago, just some Midwestern man from, from the Chicago area, lifted up his hands and burst forth in Aramaic. And he understood that language. And he looked over at him and heard fluently, understood every word the man spoke. It was his native language. And he listed in his book, in his writings, he listed the words that the man spoke. And the man was speaking the wonderful works of God. And he was, he was actually saying, Jehovah, come into my being. Jehovah, come. I welcome you, Jehovah. Glory to Jehovah. And my great-grandfather heard every word and could list every word. He was so dumbfounded by it. He walked out of there stunned and dazed, wondering what in the world he had just encountered. This had to be supernatural. And it was all glory to God. Those were the things that he came away from it understanding. So he went back to his Persian mission, and when he walked back to his, went back to his Persian mission and began to share with them the, the, the word of the Lord, he said to them, we need to tarry for the promise of the Father. We need to tarry for the Holy Ghost. But Bishop, he never told them they would speak with other tongues. He simply said we need to tarry for the Holy Ghost. He wanted to see if it was real or not. And when they began tarrying for the Holy Ghost, one by one, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave the utterance. And, and he was the last one to get the Holy Ghost. Everybody in the church had the Holy Ghost except the pastor. And then he received the Holy Ghost. But it's a, it's, it, this is the same kind of an experience. They walk in, they hear all these people speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden they catch their language being spoken. And they said, how do we hear these men speaking in our languages wherein we were born? What is this and how is this possible? And so then, of course, Peter gets up and begins to declare the word of the Lord. I won't get into all of that tonight. We're going to get into that more in our next uh, part of the series. But, but he concludes the message by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And here it goes. Here it goes. He's about to obey Jesus. He's about to fulfill the great commission. He's about to do what Jesus told him to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Even saying the words, I can feel the presence and the favor of Almighty God. Oh, it pleases God when we declare, hallelujah, His truth. The name of Jesus Christ. Somebody would perhaps dare say that Peter 
deviated from the command of Jesus. No, he didn't deviate from the command of Jesus. He understood the command of Jesus. No, he didn't differ from the words of Jesus. He understood them so deeply. And I can, I can nearly hear Jesus saying with my mind's ear, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. This is the man who understood who Jesus was. While folks were calling him Jeremiah, Elijah, or just one of the prophets, Peter understood this is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he said to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, he was speaking of one name. Hallelujah. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is one name. His name is Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Because the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen, this is one God who manifests himself in three manifestations, but one God. And so important that we understand that. And uh, I... Uh, it's, it's the powerful revelation. It's what makes baptism in the name of Jesus Christ so poignant. It's what the apostles understood. They weren't willing to lay down their life for some charlatan coming along saying that he was something that he was not. They laid down their life for the man who they knew was God manifest in the flesh. They weren't willing to be beaten and bruised and then sent out of that beating session and rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name the name they were baptized into the name that they prayed over the sick in the name that they went into every village and into every city preaching his gospel they were counted worthy they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for that precious name of Jesus Christ it is our understanding of who Jesus is that causes us to understand the power involved with being baptized into his name. So we're, we're going to talk about that. First of all, let me say, when Peter preached this on the day of Pentecost, he preached it to the Jewish people. He declared to them that they were to be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now you go to the next time we have folks baptized, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read verse number, uh, we're going to pre read verse number four. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now first, let's, let's, first let's read verse one, because I want, you, I want to point out the persecution that's going on here. Verse one of Acts eight. Saul and the Jews had just martyred, murdered Stephen, the evangelist, this, this, this elder in the church. First one of Acts chapter 8. Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentation over him. So let's get this picture. It, it would be like... One of the great carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whom we love and respect, were taken out into the town square by religious officials in our community and stoned to death in front of everybody. 
it would, it would be a little frightening. It'd be a little unnerving. Oh, you got an invitation to go speak to the religious leaders, did you? That's wonderful. It doesn't quite turn out the way we hoped it would. And Stephen lays down his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would not recant Jesus Christ as God in flesh. He wouldn't turn his back on Jesus Christ as God in flesh. And he delivered the unadulterated truth of God's word from the Old Testament into the New Testament to those Jewish leaders. And here came the persecution. He died a martyr's death in front of everybody that day. Saul was consenting unto his death. They took the opportunity to raise great persecution on the church. And great persecution rose against the church and they were all scattered abroad. That would be like us having services, enjoying one another's fellowships, having a good picnic, having a nice worship service, a prayer line, prayer meeting, good time in the Lord. Love you, brother. I'll see you Wednesday. See you Sunday. All of a sudden, somebody whom we love and respect and, and cherish as a carrier of the gospel, stoned to death, martyred and murdered, and great persecution rises against us, and we're all scattered abroad. we got to leave our homes. we got to leave our jobs. we got to go find shelter. That's what happened to the early believers in the name of Jesus Christ. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Listen, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. That's your apostle Paul before Jesus got a hold of him. Now notice what happened. The Bible says that they were scattered abroad. Verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, scared out of their mind, cowering behind every corner, ducking behind every tree, hiding under every park. No, wait a minute. Let me hold on. Let me get my, let me read this a little more carefully here. No, it's not what it says. They went everywhere preaching the word. Lord have mercy. Folks, there's power in the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, when you get a revelation of the name of Jesus, you'll find out it's worth dying for. You'll find out it's worth being persecuted for. You'll find out that there's nothing that you would trade for it in the whole wide world. They went everywhere preaching the word of God. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. You know what they said? They said, you can, you can scatter us out of our homes, scatter us out of our worship environments. You can try to scare us, but we're going to turn it on you. We're going to take this gospel to every place we go, and we're going to preach the same gospel in all the cities that are surrounding Jerusalem. That's how the gospel got out. Let's be practical. They went everywhere preaching the word. The gospel was stuck in Jerusalem. They got to preach the gospel to the whole world. God's looking for a willing vessel who will say, I'll be martyred so that the church will get out of their comfort zone and leave Jerusalem and go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'll do it because they're happy and and, and content right where they are. And Stephen preaches the word without fear or favor. He dies the martyr's death. Saul begins to wreak havoc. Going into people's house. Every home. He went into every home. And he's putting deacons and elders and saints of God. And prayer warriors in prison. 
great persecution rose against the church. And the church went out into all the cities and nations around Jerusalem. And when they got into those other places and settled down into their new life, they couldn't keep it quiet. They can't keep it hidden. It's like fire shut up in their bones. And one co-worker looks at another co-worker and says, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you how he broke the chains in my life. Let me tell you how he rescued my mind. Let me tell you how he healed my heart. Hallelujah. This doesn't mean that they went into every city and, and when they got there, there were, there were churches and pastors welcoming them to the pulpit and honoring them and here, come speak to our congregation. No, 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 no. They went into every city and they, anybody they could find, they just opened up their mouth and began to testify. See, this is preaching the word. They would testify. See, you're intimidated to think you can't do what they did. All they did was open up their mouth and share what Jesus had done for them. They went everywhere preaching the word. I'm not going to let that devil persecute me out of fulfilling the great commission. I'm not going to let the enemy persecute me out of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they preached the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ unto the people of Samaria. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Hearing... And seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I'm telling you what folks. The demonstration of the Holy Ghost began to do things in the city of Samaria that nothing else could do. Peter, Philip, pardon me, Philip went down into that city and began to cast devils out of people. And those folks, you know, we get all worked up about people who act like they're uh, full of the devil. And you know who they are. You work with some of them. God forbid you go to family reunions with some of them. You know, you know who they are. You walk away thinking they got a bad spirit. Well, Philip, instead of just sitting around criticizing everybody, that had a bad spirit, Philip began preaching the word and casting the devils out. And when the people started being delivered of the unclean devils, there was joy in the city. Hallelujah. There can be great joy in this city. I believe God can cast the devil out of the drug dealer. I believe God can cast the devil out of the violent man and the violent woman. I believe God can cast the devil out of, out of the, the individual who's supplying heroin and whatnot. I believe God can cast that unclean spirit out of the adulterer and the idolater. God can do it. Hallelujah. And when God begins to deliver them, there'll be great joy. There'll be great joy. And there was great joy in that city. There were people who were taken with palsies. Different kinds of palsies, afflictions, mysterious afflictions. And the Lord healed their bodies. And they were, they were, those that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Simon the sorcerer. It'd be easy to point fingers at Simon the sorcerer and criticize him. And can you believe Simon the sorcerer running that 800 number, cheating all those people out of their 
out of that psychic hotline he's running and tarot card houses and it'd be easy to sit around and criticize the ungodly. But Philip preached the gospel to them. And do you know as bad a guy as Simon the sorcerer was when he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Simon believed and Simon was baptized. Now he got off track a little bit later, tried to buy the Holy Ghost and all that, but Peter corrected him, got him in order, hopefully. But there was revival. And in verse number 16, verse number, number 14, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now there was, you got to understand, there was prejudice toward the Samaritans. They were half Jewish and there was prejudice toward them from the Jews. But when they that were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now folks, I'm talking about original baptism. I'm not talking about baptism that has been corrupted by man's tradition. But I'm talking about original baptism as practiced by the eyewitnesses of his majesty. The apostles of the Lamb of God who were the first receivers of the Great Commission. And then they practiced what Jesus had taught them to practice. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's move on to Acts chapter 10. We're going to move along quickly here. Peter was told by God through a vision that he should not call that which God has cleansed common or unclean. And he was... This was, of course, to prepare him to preach the gospel to Cornelius' house. Now, this is a step beyond the Samaritans because not only were the Jews prejudiced toward the Samaritans, but they were prejudiced toward anybody who wasn't a Jew. And that meant, of course, the Gentiles. There were only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and everybody else. Gentiles covers everybody but the Jews. And the Jews were having a hard time with the idea that Gentiles could ever receive what God had given to them. But what they were getting ready to understand was that this thing wasn't done in a corner. God was using the children of Israel as a means by which the whole world can be saved. That's the purpose of using the children of Israel. And so Peter is the one who gets this revelation. And God had to actually put him into a trance. He had to be the most spiritual he could possibly be, praying, praying, praying in a trance, walking in the Spirit, submitted to the Lord. His flesh had to be completely subjected, completely subdued. And he was still wrestling with God over whether or not he should go preach to the Gentiles. That's how deep his prejudice was. But, but God, in that trance-like state, God sort of put him under an anesthesia. Do you know... That the Lord can, can do that when we pray, when we pray and get lost into the presence of God. Did you know that it's kind of like a physician putting us under an anesthesia, under an anesthetic? And that's when the Lord can go deep inside of us. Listen, you don't want to have surgery, a major surgery, when you're not under an anesthetic. There'll be a little resistance going on. I've heard horror stories of people who the surgery was so urgent 
and there was emer it was went into an emergency category and they had no choice but to go do what they had to do or they'd lose the person's life i have a we have a dear friend who had to have a cesarean section and there was no possibility of anesthesia as it turned out it she went into shock it was a horrible horrible situation of course there was great joy in the end and her sons have graduated from high school twin boys and they're in the ministry, and it's just a beautiful story as it turned out. But on that day, everything was so beautiful. There was a lot of resistance going on, as you can imagine. That's the way it is in us. But the Lord put Peter under a divine anesthetic, and he got down deep into his spirit, and he ripped that, that root of prejudice out of his spirit, and Peter preached to the Gentile people. When he got there... In verse number uh, 28, Peter said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said... Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Don't tell me God doesn't hear the prayers of those who are hungrily seeking after his spirit. Hallelujah. Cornelius didn't have his theology right. Cornelius didn't have his doctrine right. But he had a hungry heart. And God heard his prayer. Thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa. Call hither Simon whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside. Who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. God get Those are pretty explicit directions. I mean, God told him, okay, this is his name, this is his nickname, this is his occupation, this is where he lives, this is where he's staying at the moment, it's over there by the seaside, there's a dog barking two blocks down. I mean, God gave explicit directions. If there's any doubt that Cornelius heard from God, let there be no doubt. And Peter said of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's very perceptive of you, Peter. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, glory to God, that word, I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. He's preaching Christ crucified. And he's about to get into the resurrection. Him God raised up the third day 
and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach unto the people, to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness, that through his name, hallelujah, that through his name, not through anybody else's name and not even through his titles but through his name hallelujah whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins while Peter yet spake these words the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word While Peter yet spake these words, glory to God. It doesn't even say the Holy Ghost was poured out. The Holy Ghost just fell. Hallelujah. It wasn't a graceful little dove coming down, gliding. No, no, no. The Holy Ghost just dropped on them. It was was like the Holy Ghost was waiting, 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 waiting. And then it was like, no, I'm done waiting. And the Holy Ghost just free fall. And all them which heard the word were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now watch what happens. They of the circumcision, that's the Jews, which believed, were astonished. This is amazing. They're blown away. As many as came with Peter, and this is why, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? How did they know it? For they heard them speak with tongues. They heard them magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? That these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And verse 48, and he politely asked them. And he, and he very nervously, for fear of rejection, him hauled around about the possibility of maybe considering. No, no. He commanded them. To be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Folks, this is the New Testament plan of God's salvation. And, and, and you know what? You know, you know there's no sense in arguing about it because the Bible's so plain. And if we will abandon the tradition that man tries to place upon us, we will readily accept what the word of the Lord teaches us. Acts chapter 19 It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said to them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And and let's go on. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they predictably spake with tongues. And they prophesied. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We didn't make this stuff up. 
when we preach repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, I know there's a lot. Hey, listen, there's a lot of pressure on apostolic Pentecostal preachers to just be quiet about it. But when, when you read the Bible, if we're supposed to be preaching from the Bible, how are we going to be quiet about it? You just got to keep preaching the truth and forget what kind of pressure there is in the outside world and just preach what the word of the Lord says and know that the truth will prevail when it's all said and done. Hallelujah. The truth will prevail when it's all said and done. Glory to God. Why be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? We see that it's very clear in the scriptures that it is to be done by the New Testament believer. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be buried with him by baptism into his name. That's clear. But the Bible tells us this. The Apostle Paul said, don't you know that when you are baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ? See, we know that when we're baptized in Jesus' name, that our sins are washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But let's understand how they're washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When you get in that water, you are saying, Lord, I believe that the life you lived was the life that had to be lived in order to satisfy the debt of sin that every human being owes. And I believe that when you died on the cross, that the blood you shed was precious blood, perfect blood, obedient blood. And I believe that when you were buried into that borrowed tomb, you were buried as a, as a crucified Lamb of God. And I believe that you rose from that borrowed tomb, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And because I believe that about you, I am being buried with you by baptism into your death. And when you are buried with him in the name of Jesus Christ, as the scriptures declare, and you come up out of that water, here's the transaction that occurred. You left your identity behind and you accepted his identity for yourself. Glory to God. That's what we mean when we say, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not some abracadabra, hocus pocus, magical little formula that we sprinkle over somebody when we're praying for them. We are, we're referencing where we stand. I stand in the name of Jesus Christ and I speak to this sickness in that name that has all power and all authority in heaven and in earth. Glory to God. Don't you know that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess everything that is above the earth, everything that is on the earth and everything that's under the earth shall bow to the authority of that name of Jesus Christ. That's why when the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts came to those devil-possessed men and said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. By Jesus. The preposition is important. We're not coming to people with Jesus only. We're not coming to people by Jesus only. We're not coming to be people about Jesus or around Jesus. We're coming to them in Jesus. In Christ. Hallelujah. Covered 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood, the DNA of Jesus Christ. The identity of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Notice that word preposition. We, we say preposition. It's really preposition. Where are you prepositioned? My position is in Christ. So let's understand before we start this conversation with, with whatever principality we're having to deal with, let's understand where we are positioned. We are, before we start, we are prepositioned in Jesus Christ. Not by Him, not with Him, not about Him, not around Him, not below Him, not above Him, in Him. In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And on and on. Therefore, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If any man abide in me and my words abide in him. See, it's all about being in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're baptized into Jesus Christ. Oh, the devil would love for people not to be baptized into Jesus Christ. He would love to reduce it down to a trivial little semantic. He's depriving you. He's robbing you. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's trying to keep you from laying hold of those precious promises. Listen, you want to know where the promises of God are? Let me tell you where they are. The promises of God in Christ are yea and amen. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you and I, we are complete in Him. <laughs> That's where the power is. That's where the promises are. That's where the glory is. It's in him. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's not in that. It's not in that. It's not, it's not in any dogma. It's not in any creed. It's in Jesus. Glory. It's in Jesus. That's why, do you know, you know something that amazed me about my, my grandfather? My grandfather believed one thing, and, 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 and that was preach Jesus. Can I take just a few minutes here? I promise I'm going to let you out in just a moment. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to take too long, but I just feel this on my heart. He, he was a young man. He was preaching revival in Idaho, and nothing was happening. Nobody was doing nothing. I mean, nobody was getting the Holy Ghost, and nobody, just no breakthrough, and he was preaching and preaching. He called Andrew Urshan, his father, and he said, Dad, I can't break through in this revival. What do I do? Andrew said, well, have you prayed? Well, yeah, I've prayed. Have you fasted? Of course I fasted. He said, are you really studying the word? Yes. He said, there's only one thing to do. Preach Jesus. He said, well, okay, well, what do I do tomorrow night? Preach Jesus again. And the next night, preach Jesus again. Just preach Jesus. That was his motto through his whole ministry. He simply preached Jesus. He preached everything about Jesus. He preached the history of Jesus. He preached the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring, everything, the kingdom reign, the second coming, everything he could preach about Jesus, he preached it and people were delivered. I remember when he was quite aged. And he came to preach. It was one of the last times I heard him preach. And I'll never forget that he preached. And 
and he was a little slower than he had been before and the words were slower and and pulling it all together he was just he was just a little bit slower than what he had been and then it came time to make the appeal for people to come forward who would need the Holy Ghost and I'll never forget people walked up to the front of that church and one after another God began to fill them with the gift of the Holy Ghost because he preached simply preached Jesus Jesus Paul came to the church at Corinth and he said this thing is so messed up everybody's going crazy everybody's losing their mind everything's out of order everything is I mean there's sin running rampant I mean it's bad the Apostle Paul looked at the church at Corinth and said, I don't even know what to do with this thing. So uh, he said, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. I'm going to come to you with the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And he said later, he said, when I came to you, I came not with those things. He said, I preached one thing. I knew nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to tell you what, that will set everything in order. And I don't have to mention drug addiction, but if I preach Jesus, the drug addiction will be taken off of your life. If you'll let it, if you'll believe what's being preached. I don't have to mention one thing about marital crisis, but if I preach Jesus, the healer can come down into those circumstances and heal that marital crisis. Jesus is the solution to every ill of society. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Glory. The only bad thing about series is that, that because it's prolonged, you just want to keep on preaching, preaching, preaching. And you got to stop so people can get some rest. Let me close. I want to share this final thing with you. The other night, I had the privilege of going to the Christians United for Israel gathering here in Cincinnati. It was kind of a preliminary gathering. Uh, Pastor Lavelton Daniel was there, myself, and Pastor David Bryan has, has just become the Cincinnati director for the Christians United for Israel, and that's a wonderful thing. Amen. And I believe God's going to open up some tremendous doors for us to help the nation of Israel. And so it's a, a wonderful time. The man that was speaking is a, um, he is a representative of, a, of this wonderful organization and uh, has a pretty strong trinitarian background and he um, he and I began to talk and I shared with him I said I am oneness Pentecostal and he said oh really I said yes sir I am and um, and we began to talk and, and you know that sometimes people get taken off guard when you tell them I'm a oneness Pentecostal they sometimes they want to to uh, you know know a little more about that and, 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 and maybe not necessarily agree with you. He said, well, I need to tell you my story. He said, my story is that I had work to do for Christians United for Israel. We were going to the nation of Israel. He said, do you know Evangelist Brian Norman? I said, I know Evangelist Norman. He said, Brian Norman, who's an evangelist with the United Pentecostal Church, he said, he's been a partner with Christians United for Israel for several years. And I told him, I said, uh, hey, man, I need half this trip filled up for Israel. I've got 30 spots and I've got 15 people. I need 15 more people. Brother Norman said, I got it. I'll, I'll get it covered. 
So he fills it up with 15 UPC preachers. The other 15 are of various denominations. And they go to Israel together. And it's the most spectacular thing, uh, just, a, just the most amazing thing you could ever imagine, going to Israel and just experiencing all that history and, and you know, the peace of God that settles on that city of Jerusalem. And just an amazing thing. And there's a, there's a location at the Pool of Bethesda, and I've been there, and, and they went there, and there's a, little, there's a little chapel there at the Pool of Bethesda that when you go into this chapel, they like to take tour groups in there to sing. Because the acoustics, you stand in the center and the acoustics reverberate and you, it has this, it has this cacophony sound that, that is just indescribable and you feel the power in the presence of the Lord. So they, they stood in there to sing and, and this particular uh, minister from a Trinitarian background, he, he took the group in there, 15 UPC preachers, 15 uh, Trinitarian preachers, and he said, let's sing an old hymn. And they said, all right, let's do it. And so he started to sing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he began to sing the rest of the song and came to the line that would say, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And when he got to that line, half the choir dropped off. Except one, one of the, all the UPC preachers stopped singing, except one, and he bellowed out, God in his fullness, blessed unity. <laughs> and he noticed it, and he thought, okay, it's interesting. So he, one of the other ministers came over and said, you believe those oneness Pentecostal preachers wouldn't sing about the Trinity and and, and one of them even replaced the words, and it kind of aggravated this guy. And he said, oh, he said, let it go. He said, we're having a good time. We'll just, we'll just agree to disagree and move on. And so all was, all was well in his mind. And Evangelist Norman came to him. He said, hey, my friend, he said, did you notice the little hiccup in the song there at the, in the chapel? He said, I, I did notice it. And he said, well, he said, uh, what do you think about it? He said, um, I don't know. He said, I, uh, it's all right. It's fine. It's whatever. It's whatever. It's fine. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, um, how many thrones are you going to see when you get to heaven? He said, what do you mean how many thrones? He said, I want to know how many thrones. How many kings are there? He said, well, there's one. He said, okay, well, then you believe like I believe. He said, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. He said, oh, no, you believe like I, if you believe there's one throne, then you believe what I believe. He said, let me ask you this. He said, uh, can you quote Matthew 28, 19? He said, uh, well, sure, it's uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name. He said, stop. He said, what would you say? He said, baptizing them in the name. He said, the name? He said, yes, the name. He said, is it singular or plural? He said, well, it's singular. He said, you mean to tell me that there's a singular name for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? And he said, all of a sudden, see, what the minister told me, he said, I had been studying the Hebraic teachings of the Old Testament, and I had become very familiar with the Jewish teaching of the Echad, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord our God is one. 
and one was all throughout the Old Testament. One, one, one. And all of a sudden, it hit me. He said, my synapses started firing. And he said, I got to go study. And Brother Norman said, you want me to give you some books? He said, no books. I just want the Bible. And he said, I did a deep dive. And I realized the same God who told Moses, I am that I am is the same God who told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. He said, then I began to research the doctrine of the Trinity, and I began to realize that the doctrine of the Trinity was actually rooted in pagan teachings and that it should have gone out with the Protestant Reformation. And he went back to Brother Norman and said, I need you to baptize me in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I thought that was wonderful. Amen. They had the dinner at the Montgomery Inn. I almost started shouting with my, with my ribs in one hand and my bib on and everything. Glory to God. Hold my bib. I'm about to shout right now. Hold my bib and my rib. I'm about to have a Holy Ghost time. My Lord, folks, I'm telling you that it's being revealed. It's being revealed. It's being revealed. The name that's above every name. Tradition can't hold it down. False doctrine can't hold it down. Heresy can't hold it down. Persecution can't hold it down. This isn't the time to turn on it. This isn't the time to backslide from it. This is the time to lift him higher and declare to the world the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. Oh, praise God. I'm glad I can say I'm one of them. I'm thankful to be able to say that I worship Jesus Christ as the one true living God. Amen. And, and you know, he died for me. He was wounded for me. He was bruised for me. He was chastised for me. He was mocked on my behalf. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted so that I could live. You've come too late to tell me I shouldn't be baptized into his name. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet and love him today. Come on, let's stand to our feet and give him praise today. In the name of Jesus, we praise you, Lord. Glory to the name of God. Glory to the name of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We praise your name. We worship you and praise your name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't know what you're facing, what you're struggling with right now, but God can give you strength. You weren't baptized into just any old name. You were baptized into the name that has all power in heaven and in earth. Hallelujah. Take hold of that authority right now. And say, Lord, I believe it. 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 I believe it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I believe it in the name of Jesus. 
Come on, reach out right now and say, God, I hold on to your word. I receive your word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus, yes, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.